0: All right, this Bible study that we're going to do is going to focus on the parables of Jesus. I'm going to spend the entire three months um, drilling down on the various parables. Uh, And I think it's interesting when you do that because you will find out that in many ways some of the interpretations that you've heard before might not be as accurate as they they could be. Now, we know that Jesus was a master storyteller. Uh, Probably no one told the story better than Jesus did. It captivated his hearers, uh, and through his stories he was able to deliver powerful theological lessons. But while his parables were popular, many people did not understand them. Uh, And even biblical scholars often did not understand them. And so people think that Jesus used parables uh, just in order to convey a message. Well, actually, that's not true. Uh, and you're going to hear why Jesus used parables. Uh, and Jesus used the most common things in the world to convey these thoughts. It was a brilliant teaching method. Um, <clears throat> and some people say that Jesus did this better than sermonizing. Well, you know that the uh, uh, the first uh, Sermon on the Mount that Jesus delivered was a sermon. He delivered it in a sermon style. And what sermon was ever more effective than that? Uh, But you're going to hear that something happened to the Lord about two years into his ministry that caused him from that time forward to speak forever in parables. Uh, And I think it's interesting when we do this. Uh, And so, you know, when when I studied this uh, in preparing for this, I noticed that some... Uh, scholars uh, will say that the good thing about the parables is, it, is that it leaves the hearer with the right to make their own interpretation. Well, what does that mean? Let the hearer make their own interpretation. I mean, are we, are we doing our own philosophy of God, our own religion? That, there's nothing more false than that. That's not true. That's not what it's about. Uh, and so clearly, there is a singular view of understanding what the the parables are about. Uh, And so one day, his disciples, this is now in the third year of ministry, they asked him, why do you speak in parables? And so if you have your Bible, we're going to give your Bibles a workout. Look, turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 to 15. Uh, And this is now in response... So why do you teach in parables? The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Continuing on, those seeing they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So what does this mean? It means that Jesus had determined that there were people that had no interest in understanding the things of God. They had no interest in his ministry. And so effectively, as a result of that, Jesus spoke in parables. And the Holy Spirit selectively selectively then allows those people, some to understand and some never to understand. You understand that? And the citation that He he, he gives here uh, comes out of Isaiah, Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. Uh, and and that's, that's an amazing uh, citation because that was the commission of Isaiah to go out and preach. And yet, as God had warned him, but some will never understand, some will never hear, some have their ears calloused, uh, and I want you to understand that. That is God telling Isaiah that even as you go out, There are going to be people who will not be able to understand the word of God because God speaks in mysteries. God speaks in mysteries. This, to me, is one of the most astonishing things to understand that God has given us a key to understanding the mystery of of his word in such a profound way Uh, because you know that the people of the Old Testament didn't, didn't understand the Holy Spirit. They didn't understand about Jesus Christ coming uh, they knew a little bit here and a little bit there, and yet God kept all that uh, as a mystery. Uh, and so Jesus is effectively saying that those who think they know it will be shut down, and those who are humble and are thirsty will be given the word. And so just as it was true then, it's true, to, true today. And so this becomes a critically important understanding, the ministry of Christ. Uh, And so while the parables do illustrate and clarify for those with ears to hear, they have precisely the opposite effect, you see, the opposite effect uh, on those who have rejected Christ. The very symbolism of the parables are hidden uh, from those who are arrogant and think that they know it all. Uh, And unless you have the discipline and desire to to be drawn closer to Christ, you'll never understand that. That is why Jesus adopted this form of teaching. Uh, It was effectively a divine judgment, you see, against those who met his teaching with scorn and disbelief. And this becomes important. And, And, you know, recently at Christmas, in my Christmas message, I spoke about that very issue. Uh, and, and here you understand the wise men travel 800 miles uh, from what is currently Iran, and they travel 800 miles because they see the star in the sky, and they know the writings of Daniel, and they know effectively that through the Spirit that the Messiah is born. And so they come, where else? To the temple. Uh, and they speak to the, to the leaders, the religious elite, uh, to Herod. Where is the king of the Jews born? Uh, And, of course, Herod didn't know, but he asked the the, uh, men, the leaders, the religious elite, they immediately turned to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and say, oh, yeah, it's uh, Bethlehem. It's like seven miles down the road, turn right. And they never went themselves. Do you see what happens when your, your religiosity so overcomes you that you think you don't need God that you think you have the answer to the issues, we don't have to go down that road. We're not interested in a Messiah that's a baby. We want a political leader. And that's why God hid his mysteries from these people. It relates to the heart. And it's a fact even today. It relates to the heart. And so notice how how Jesus described the unbeliever's Who were around him. They had, quote, stopped up their own ears and held their eyes closed tightly, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so I should heal them. Can you imagine being in the presence of God Himself and you refuse to listen because it's not the message that you want, not coming from the form that you want? and you're worried about your own position and status. This was an incredibly, incredibly significant indictment uh, against religious elites, and I would say against religiosity uh, in so many ways. The more that they heard Christ, uh, the more they were going to be held accountable by God. And so God really made it very simple. He shut it down. They were not going to understand it. They would never come to understand it. Uh, And so the more they harden their heart against the truth, the more severe would be the judgment against them. If you have your Bible, look at Luke chapter 12, if you would. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Jesus speaks again on this issue. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. For everyone who has been given much much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And so there you see the economy of God. If you've been given wisdom and insight, God is going to demand more from you. If you're innocent and not really understanding the truths of God, then God's uh, judgment upon you is going to be uh, less severe. And so that's the point of these parables, That's Jesus and God is holding them uh, incredibly accountable. And so incredibly, by concealing, you see, concealing the spiritual lessons uh, from from these people that have opposed Jesus, concealing them in everyday stories and symbols, Jesus was keeping them from piling guilt on their own heads. They were rendering themselves guilty before God. And every day that would go by would get worse and worse. So God just says, it's over. It's over. You don't, you don't deserve to hear it. I mean, we don't talk about this much. We don't understand this, but this is a significant issue. And so uh, uh, there are other good and significant reasons uh, for Jesus to package the truth in parables in the face of widespread unbelief. To his ministry. Turn to Matthew again, chapter 13. Look at verses 53 to 58. When Jesus had finished these parables, remember now, this is in his third year of ministry because the first two years he didn't do it. But now the opposition is growing against him. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there, coming to his hometown. He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him, underline that. But Jesus said to them, only in his hometown and in his own own house is a prophet without honor. By the way, two things I would bring to your attention. First, that the people in the hometown resented him, uh, repudiated him, would not accept him, closed their eyes. And so what does God do? That's the way you want it. That's what you're going to get. But notice also that this verse clearly articulates the fact that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Uh, And I think it's an important part. We know that James, his half-brother, obviously, uh, would become one of the great leaders of the Christian movement after Jesus dies. Uh, And so you see this taking place here. But the point of this is that here he is in his hometown, this great teacher, this great God, rejected by humanity because they detested him. They were afraid of Jesus. They were afraid of what he would do to their public status. And so as you see this, uh, Jesus is now speaking publicly through parables to hide God's mysteries and truth from the undeserving, from the self-righteous, from those who are absorbed in religiosity. In short, Jesus' parables had a twofold purpose. They hid the truth from those who were self-righteous, caught up in religiosity, who fancied themselves too sophisticated to learn, while at the same time they revealed the eternal truth to those who were poor in spirit. And that's the nature of how God operates. If you're poor in spirit, uh, you know the Beatitudes where get, begins with that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For they shall enter the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And that's what you always want to be in front of God. Bowing your head and saying, Lord, I need you. I need your word. Please educate me, Father, as to what you mean. And when you approach God like that, God answers you. He answers you, and the Holy Spirit answers you. And so things that you find maybe that are not so clear will become more clear. Uh, Jesus thanked the Father for his results. He said, There, I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, it seemed good in your sight. Can you imagine? You've hidden them from the wise and the prudent. You didn't give it to them. You didn't give access to them uh, because effectively it's casting pearls before the swine. You know what Jesus said about that. Cast not the pearls before the swine. Why would he use that metaphor? Because pearls were considered like diamonds. Why give the mysteries, the greatest gifts of God, to people who would repudiate it, who despised it, who were not interested? This is a lesson today for us. If you want to advance in the kingdom of God, you have to have a broken spirit. You have to bow before God. Uh, and say, Lord, I, I submit to you in every way. Speak to my heart. And God will speak to your heart. He will speak to your heart. Even as you go out and give the message of salvation. This is another thing that I spoke about yesterday, that we have a responsibility as individuals and as a church collectively. That is to go and spread the news about salvation. And when you do that, and you do it with a broken heart and a broken spirit, when you come to people that have that spirit, God will see that they 're saved. you're not saving them. God is saving them. And so it's important to understand that. Uh, and so Jesus never spoke in parables in the first two years, with the exception of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and <clears throat> that one section where he closes uh, about the builder and the home. If you have your Bibles, we could take a look at that. That's Matthew chapter seven, verse 24.. <clears throat> Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and this is right after the the, uh, Sermon on the Mount, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I'm getting some feedback up here. Can we turn, turn that off? All right. Um, and so uh, Jesus is indicating there. You hear the words. You understand the words. You, 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 you build your life on the words. You build your, your future on the words. God will protect it. He will uphold it. He will lift it up. But if you don't, if you do your own thing, if you've got your own religious philosophy, well, it's doomed to fail. It's doomed to fail. And you're going to see this as we drill down over the course of these next weeks on the issue of the parables. Uh, And so understand this, that that, uh, all unbelievers, and let me repeat this, all unbelievers lack the capacity to understand Jesus' parables that speak about the mysteries of God. All unbelievers. Now, how do I get that citation? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this is important that you know this, even as you go and spread the gospel. I want you to be aware of this. You may find it, you know, surprising, but this is a fact. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 7 to 8. This is Paul speaking now. Actually, we'll start with verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God designed for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, there it is. They didn't understand. They didn't understand the word of God. They didn't understand the mysteries of God because they were self-righteous, filled with religiosity, and so God brought the curtain down. Uh, And so you understand that. And so here he's saying here, however, as it is written, and this is a citation from other scripture, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. Amen? God has revealed it to us by his Holy Spirit. He has revealed the mysteries of God to each and every one of you as you've come to salvation. God has opened your heart uh, and spoken to your heart. And you understand that, that when you hear what I'm saying now, I know that it's touching your heart and you're going, Amen, Lord, Amen. I understand it. And I would say, Thank you, God. Thank you for giving me the privilege to understand your word, to understand the mysteries, to think about it, that you understand perfectly the life of Christ. You understand perfectly the fact that Christ came to this world to be crucified. To die on a cross, you understand it. It's a mystery. The world will never understand that, but you understand that because you know the very heart of God, the very purpose of God. Uh, and so this becomes critically important as we study uh, the parables. Now, uh, another important part of the parables is that Jesus never featured elements of myth or fantasy. This is not like Aesop's fables. You know, we're, we're forest creatures. Uh, move on and and make some moral lesson. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus' lessons, parables, were all grounded in reality. They were all based on facts that could, in fact, take place. And they're only found in the synoptic gospel. How about that? They're not found in John. There are no parables found in John, but in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, And so this becomes important. So you begin to see what Jesus was doing. Uh, how, how the religious elite determined that they would kill him, that they would destroy him, that they would stop him in his tracks, uh, and that through the will of God, God determined, fine, now you're going to speak about the mysteries of God in parable form. And so now, on a busy day, as we continue to expand on this thought, on a busy day, uh, near the second year of the public ministry of Jesus, and this becomes important, Now, it's nearing the second year of his public ministry. He had an encounter with some hostile Pharisees. That's kind of uh, uh, an unnecessary adjective, hostile Pharisees. They were always hostile. They were always angry. They were always resentful. They were full of religiosity in every way. That changed the entire character of Jesus' teaching, and this is why I want to show you this. Uh, He no longer preached straightforward sermons after this uh, encounter. He would now speak simply in parables, uh, and he was doing this as a judgment against the religious elite, those who had effectively deemed themselves higher than God. Uh, And here's the point. The religious elite were eager to discredit Christ, uh, and the, the principal fight that they chose uh, was the issue of the proper observance of the Sabbath. You will see time and time again, this is the stage that they used uh, to try to derail Jesus. <clears throat> and they, they had an overly legalistic system. They had determined there, were, there are over 300 separate laws that they had created, 300 separate laws that related to the conduct of Judaism, and many of them related uh, to the Sabbath. And so they had created these overly strict restrictions that related to the Sabbath, uh, to the point where uh, uh, they wouldn't allow any productive work to go on, except, of course, they had exceptions. Uh, And one of their exceptions was that you could only uh, travel a certain number of feet from your home on the Sabbath. Uh, and I believe it was about 1,000 feet. And so they had then determined, this is beautiful, and you see the, the mind of man. They had determined, well, okay, you can only travel a 1,000 feet uh, from your home. Well, if you take a chair and you travel 1,000 feet and you plunk the chair down, guess what? This is my home. So I can, I can hang out for like 10 minutes at my home, and guess what? I can go another 1,000 feet. And so this is what they had done. In other words, this this wasn't any proper observance of the Sabbath. This was was their mindless way of saying they were religious and yet at the same time denigrating what God's will was uh, in so many ways. Uh, And so, you know, the, the, the Sabbath was never intended to be burdensome. It was an act of grace and kindness for God to humanity to give them a day to reflect on the blessings of his life. Uh, if you look at Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 3, it says, it says there, speaking of the Sabbath, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating what he had done. Now, do you think God had run out of steam? I mean, seriously, do you think that's why he, he, he rested on the seventh day? Because he went, whew, whew, was, that was a lot of work. I'm beat. I'm just going to put my feet, come on. I mean, you see how we're laughing because it's so outrageously stupid, it doesn't even make sense. Uh, and yet, these so-called religious Jews had taken this, which should have been an act of grace uh, and kindness from God, and turned it on his head. Uh, God didn't need relief, but he knew that mankind would need it. Uh, and so there ought to be a time when you worked around the clock that you ought to be able to stop and reflect and study the word of God uh, and, and do that. You know, as I reflect, when I was in law school, uh, when I was in law school, I had buddies of mine who routinely were hired on the Sabbath to go into New York City uh, for religious Jews, Orthodox Jews, effectively, <clears throat> and press the elevator buttons in their building because they had determined that even pressing elevator buttons would be work. Now, t- come on. I mean, really, do you think this is what God had in mind uh, in terms of, of understanding this happening? Well, my buddies made a good living going over there and just sitting there pressing elevator buttons. Uh, and they would go over and do that every Saturday. Uh, and so uh, what you see here is that Israel had sinned repeatedly, repeatedly throughout her history by ignoring the Sabbaths. They did business as if it didn't exist, and they had done that. And there was a great deal of apostasy. Well, now the pendulum is swinging back uh, after about a 1,000 years, and now these religious elites now have set up these, these ridiculous rules and regulations about it, and they were legalistic. There was no grace. There was no love in these people. They were legalistic. And so Matthew chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, uh, begins with a major confrontation, a major confrontation that's provoked by the religious elite over the Sabbath and Jesus. Uh, and the disciples were hungry, uh, and they plucked some heads of grain to eat while walking through the field of wheat or barley on the Sabbath. And that was perfectly permissible. If you go back and, and, you, and you read Uh, the first five books uh, in the Bible, it will tell you that that the fields were planted so that if there were people that were hungry, there was a chance for them to be able to get something to eat. And so the Pharisees were up in arms and confronted Jesus about this. So turn to Matthew 12, and, and this begins the predicate for why Jesus began to speak in miracles. Matthew chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads Of grain and eat them. Now, let's understand something. It's not like they're harvesting. They're not out there harvesting. They're walking through a field and they're hungry and they pick up an occasional head of grain and they're eating it. Let's get this picture straightened out. When the Pharisees saw this, and you can imagine they must have been trailing Jesus every moment. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath, which was working. They're working. Look at them. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Let's stop and talk about that. In other words, David is being pursued by Saul. He's running for his life. He doesn't have a way to get fed, but he sees a house of God, uh, a synagogue where he knows that there's bread there because they use bread in the sacrifice. And so he goes in and he takes the bread and he eats it. Now, the Pharisees would say, this is a violation of the will of God. But God, you see, God looks at the need. What was the need? These people were hungry. They needed to be fed. They didn't have an opportunity. And David was God's man. He was a godly man. He's being pursued. And so uh, Jesus is saying to them, You see how you can't make these mindless assertions? Or haven't you read, verse 5, in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are in- innocent? What did he mean by that? The priests are in there working. They're working. They're preparing the sacrifices. So how can they on the Sabbath be working and and doing the sacrifices? And, And yet you think that the Sabbath is pristine, that nothing can be done. I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. That is a citation of God speaking in the Old Testament. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Now, you can imagine where this is going, all right? It's bad enough your, your men uh, ate on the Sabbath. Now there's a guy with a shriveled hand. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, can you imagine that God would f- prohibit healing healing on the Sabbath. But these people had lost their minds, you see. Jesus said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. How's that? Pretty straightforward. It is lawful to do good. It is lawful to do good. And God didn't indicate that you couldn't do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Can you imagine what's going on here? Can you see evil? Do you see what happens when evil uh, implicates itself where people who consider themselves religious have so closed their mind and hearts to the will of God that they now become tools of Satan. So instead of honoring God, honoring the, the, the miracle, nobody else uh, completed miracles like this except Jesus Christ and healed this man. Now they decide he has to die. We have to kill him. We're going we're to make sure that he, that he uh, dies. Uh, and so you see, they had turned the bare necessities of life, food, healing... Uh, doing goodwill. They had turned all of that into, a, into a, a taboo. And so Jesus rebuked them with this famous remark, the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord even on the Sabbath. He cannot be restricted. He cannot be put in a box. This infuriated the Pharisees, uh, and, and they would not be through with Jesus. Is another example. If you look at Luke chapter 6, A similar instance, Luke chapter 6, verse 6. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Do you see how Satan operates? They're looking for him they were watching for him to see if he would, in fact, heal somebody. Uh, but Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretched out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Can you understand now how this becomes the predicate in which God says, that's it. That's it. It's being shut down. These people do not deserve to hear the mysteries of God, do not deserve to get the basic elements of what I'm going to do. It's going to be shut down. And from now on, you're going to speak in parables. And those parables will only be understood by those who have a spirit, uh, to hear and to understand what God's will is. And so Jesus clearly opposed, clearly opposed these man-made traditions. And he boldly challenged their authority and claimed supreme authority for himself. Uh, and so you see, I mean, it's amazing when you see the, the extent that these people would go to to destroy Jesus Christ. Uh, and they had really a secret enclave. Uh, and if you turn to John chapter 11, I want you to see what their hearts were like, because then you've begun to understand why God did what he did. Look at John chapter 11. <clears throat> uh, with, we'll start with uh, verse 47. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called the meeting of the Sanhedrin, What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Now, can you imagine? He's doing miracles. If we let him go on, everyone's going to wind up believing in him. Astonishing. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. There it is. That's the rationale. They wanted him stopped because they didn't want to lose their status this was all about their desire for individual status. They had status under the Romans, and they didn't want to lose that status. And so they felt that the Romans would take away their status. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, and you know who he is, spoke up, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation Perish. Wow. Out of the mouth of a non religious person comes one of the great prophetic statements in the New Testament. A man who didn't even realize what he would say It is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation would perish. And in fact, that's what Jesus did. One man would die, one man would die on the cross so that the entire nation, those of all believers, uh, would be saved. Continuing on, he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And I love that. That's John interpreting that. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Incredible. (coughs) Excuse me. Incredible. And so you see what's going on here. And so how God saw their hearts and saw what they planned to do, and and so God intervened. And that from that day forward, Jesus would speak uh, in parables. This becomes an important lesson for us today. As we understand how God looks at our hearts and sees our hearts and sees our willingness to listen and to submit our lives and to be open to His Word. And yet, at the same time, He sees the heart of those who have closed their hearts, who have closed their minds, who have closed their ears, who have closed their eyes. And God will not cast pearls to the swine. He will not. And I would say this to you, those of you who have been trying to spread the gospel, that there may be people that you've tried for years uh, and have no interest. Uh, In hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus made it plain to his disciples when they encountered people like that. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. And that's a lesson here. You understand? Not everyone is open to receiving the gospel of Christ. Not everyone. There are people who are so closed-minded about this, so closed-minded about this, uh, that, that God has determined that they are not worthy to hear the word and he shuts it down. And so they would never understand it. They'd never come to terms with any of the parables of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to end it this week right here because next week we're going to delve down deeper into one of the specific parables as we go forward. But it's important for you to get the predicate about how this all came together, what God's plan was, uh, and how Jesus really uh, was demonstrating right early on that God, God's word was for those who who were broken and poor in spirit, not for those who deemed that they were not worthy, that they were the religious elite. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for for the words that you've given us. Father, I ask that these words resonate in our hearts, that as we leave here, we continue to think about what Jesus did and what you did through him how the world was changed, Father, and how we ourselves need to be mindful of the fact of how our hearts are, that if we want to gain the mysteries of of God and understand this, that we need to be poor in spirit, that God never uses a proud man, but instead elevates those who are broken in spirit. Bless our people. Protect them as they leave here, Lord. Protect them this week and bring them back safely Next week, as we continue to study your word, as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you all.